Jesus, you're so kind. You're so kind to us. I feel like your kindness is so fierce. Your love is so fierce. And you handle us with such gentle hands, gentle intentions, always drawing us closer to yourself. Just to breathe life upon our lives. We love being yours. Amen. Okay, guys. And those of you online, are we online? Yes. Welcome. I have been so excited for this moment for months now. I don't know when we originally talked about this, but I have been so excited to have Jody come in and teach on forgiveness. Can we call it a teaching? No? We're just going to call it a speaking? I think she might be a little inaccurate, but whatever. <laughs> She's a woman, so we'll call it sharing. <laughs> Somebody should take the mic from me. Anyway, <laughs> Jody and I have been friends for 20 plus years now. And we are the ones who get in trouble when we're together because we're the naughty children that often find ourselves rolling around on the floor. Joy finds us. So anyway, this is my friend, Joy D. Williams. Wow. After worship, I don't know how I can even stand up here and speak without it's beautiful. What a beautiful thing he does. Thank you for being here, and thank you for letting me be here with you. I'm humbled, and I'm honored. Just for tonight, I mean, it doesn't have to be just for tonight, but just for this moment. I want to enter into a no-judgment zone. I want you to know that I will not judge you for anything that you have done or anything that you have not done. I will not judge you for anything that you have said or anything that you have left unsaid. I will not judge you for anything you have done, you are doing, you will do. And I want to love you with the kind of love that he loves you with. And I would ask that you would extend that to me. That is mercy, and that is grace, and that is the way of forgiveness, and that is love like only God gives and moves through us with. I'm going to pray real quick. Holy Spirit, 
I ask that you would just expand our hearts with the kind of love that you ache to see us hold. That you would, in this very moment, let us experience your love for one another and that you would release your love among us to heal us and to restore us, each one. You are so beautiful and you are so kind. And you are everything, everything we need. And we celebrate that. And we're so thankful for you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I want to share you with you a little bit. You all know tad bits and pieces of, of what I'm up to these days, but I am a massage therapist. And I have learned so much about the body. And as I share my observations about what I have learned about the physical body, if you would please try to draw the parallel between this physical body and the body of Christ. Okay, a few things I've learned about the body is that our bodies are remarkably kind to us. Um, I tell this to, to most people who come into my room, to almost every client. I explain to them, your body is so kind to you. It absorbs all the trauma and all the stress and all the hard things that you go through on a daily basis. You, you go through something really difficult that, you know, your mind wouldn't be able, you just wouldn't be able to function in that moment if your body didn't say, it's okay, honey. Let me hold that for you. It's okay, honey. I'll hold that for you, and you go on about your day. You get through this, and it does that over and over and over again. And in, in a perfect scenario, at the end of the day, you would sit down and you would unpack. You would let those things out of your body. You would deal with them, and you would release them. But from the time we've been children, we haven't been aware that that's a thing that we do or that that's an option available to us. And so your body continues to hold and hold and pack and hold until it hurts, until you get sick sometimes, until you ache. There's all kinds of manifestations of a body that is full of the hard stuff. And I wonder, I know it's especially true with, with us women, but I wonder if it's part of the reason that we look in the mirror and we're unhappy with what we see. And that's a whole different teaching. That was just, but there's so much toxicity that we hold on to in our bodies and we don't appreciate what the body has actually done for us and what it's doing and what it's 
gotten us through and what it's going to get us through. So anyway, that's one observation that I have, I have held. It's a, a revelation. And then another thing about this human body of ours is that it's remarkably connected from, from your toe to your ear. There isn't anything that can go haywire. There isn't anything that can get bent out of shape that doesn't affect something else. So very often, if a person comes to me with a neck ache, the problem might not really be the neck. The problem may be this hip that's out of whack that's caused this set of muscles up the back to tighten up that caused the neck over on this other side to go, ow. And it's your neck that's screaming and saying, I can't get through this day. I need a massage. But if I only address the neck, you're going to go away and you're going to still be hurting throughout the next few days, throughout the next week. What I have to do is say, trust me on this. I know that this set of muscles down here isn't screaming at you, but if we can get this set of muscles to release, your neck will be better. Think about that in the body of Christ. <sighs> Some more about me. I have been head over heels in love with Jesus for a long time. I had a really powerful, personal, special, beautiful encounter with him when I was 19 years old. It's been over 30 years ago, but don't do the math. <laughs> and I have been unable to squash that no matter what I do. And I've done some stuff, but I cannot squash the reaction I have to the kind of love that he has shown me and that he shows me all the time. It's like I am completely, utterly bewildered by this wonderful God of ours. I am in love with Jesus. That was when I was 19. And when I was 19, I also married a very amazing man whom I respected and admired greatly and loved. And we were married for a long time. And I fucked it up. Screwed it up, messed it up. <laughs> it started out, I had an affair, and it started out as an emotional affair because I heard things that I was so desperately wanting to hear. I heard things like, you're really beautiful. Do you have any idea how talented you are? I was like, me? You're so smart. 
me, that's, that's not me. <laughs> that's that other person. Things like, no, you're amazing. You are, you're incredible. And it went on from there. I am not excusing what I did. I can't justify it. And I certainly don't blame anyone for it. And I really wouldn't go into it at all because I'm not fascinated by sin. But I am fascinated by forgiveness. And I want to tell you about the crap so that I can tell you about the glory. And I would never advocate that you sin a lot. But if you fall, you can be picked up and restored. Okay. He who sins much is forgiven much. I've been forgiven a lot. Um, when that affair was uncovered, I was so, so incredibly ashamed. I was humiliated. So broken. And um, we went to a counselor. And I couldn't even speak. I couldn't tell him what I had done because what I had done in my mind was so huge and so incredibly disgusting that I, why are you here? What have you done? And all I could do was cry. I was so overwhelmed with shame that it was as if someone had me in a chokehold. I could not speak. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't speak. I couldn't tell him you know, what I had done. And that chokehold lasted for not days, not weeks, not months, but years. I, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't admit. I don't know that it's admit. I was just unable to, to share it. So I submitted to the voices that said, unlovable unworthy, disqualified, unfit, disgusting. That's a voice of unforgiveness. 
it's a pretty big deal. Unforgiveness is, it's actually a really, 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 really big deal. Whether it's aimed at yourself or whether it's aimed at the person that you love or the person that you don't really love, but you want to hold a grudge against them, it's a really freaking big deal because it kills Okay, let me see. Back to what I've learned as a massage therapist. Unforgiveness, as other emotions, have a profound effect on your body. Like we were talking about how your body absorbs things. Your uh, central nervous system absorbs, I mean, it, it deals with your emotions. And so when you're not dealing with your emotions, when you have emotions, it reverberates into your body. And if you don't deal with it, it settles in your body. We talked about this. Okay. Unforgiveness in particular. They have done study after study now. It's kind of a neat time to, to be working in the healing field because Study after study shows that particularly unforgiveness causes pains in your body. It affects your heart. It affects your brain. It affects your organs. It affects your large intestine. It affects your liver. Everything that you need to live a healthy life, unforgiveness screws with. It messes you up. physical body, body of Christ. You know, I have an article speaking of all the different things that unforgiveness can do in the body. One of the things that can do or cause is throat pain, sore throats, neck pain, frequently having the flu. Just you know, bear with me because massage therapists and, and people who've done these studies are kind of, um, they assign different things, but frequently having the flu, this is a sign of tears that haven't been cried Likely because of pride or because there's so much anger that you can't recognize the harm that's been caused. Let's see, sorry. That throat pain may be related to words left unsaid. Neck pain is the part of the body that reflects, flex, reflects your flexibility or lack of. If resentment has settled into your life, the neck region will probably be very affected. I've had a lot of stuff with my neck. <laughs> um, the ankles, when you don't have, uh, even your ankles, when you don't have to, if, uh, what's to say? This is why I have glasses on. When you don't want to open your path up to the process of forgiveness, your ankles will likely reflect this. 
When the ankles are in pain, it's almost always because you've been holding on to a negative feeling. Back pain. We could go on. I just want you to know that emotions and forgiveness hurt your body. Unforgiveness hurts your body. But on the other flip side of that is what happens when we release forgiveness. I know. I know your hearts, and your hearts are to heal. If you will release forgiveness first here and then everywhere, you will create an atmosphere of healing. You will create an atmosphere of healing right here, right here, right here, right here, right here, right here. And every person that you know and don't know will be affected, much like they're affected by your unforgiveness, which is a really freaking big deal. But it's nothing like, like the power of forgiveness. <sighs> when I do massage, I'm usually praying over the person as I'm massaging them. Not usually allowed because I don't want to freak them out, but I am almost always trying to figure out, okay, why is this like this, Lord? Why, why is there irritation here? And so many times he will show me and, and tell me exactly what we're dealing with. And, it, you know, and sometimes I'm like, ooh, I, I didn't need to know that. And other times he doesn't show me because he knows it's none of my business. But he will, he will help me to offer the opportunity to people. I'm like, you know, I know that you've been dealing with some unforgiveness toward, you know, sometimes it's specific and sometimes it's not. But I can say, I know that there's unforgiveness here. And you are safe with me, and you are safe in this place to release it if you're ready and forgive. And I am always astonished when they do, when someone actually says, I'm ready, and they breathe it out, they cry it out. And their muscles that are tight in this place become like that. And I know they're healed. I know that you, know, you don't just feel better because you've got a massage. I know you're healed. And they know they're healed. And it's a pretty beautiful thing to behold for me, to to get to be a part of that, to get to see people who are actually healed. They came in for this, and they walked out free. They walked out beautifully alive in a way that they didn't know they could feel 
And it's because of forgiveness. It's, it's incredible. <sighs> Our bodies, this body, this church body, the entire church, or the body of your personal family. These bodies were not made to carry unforgiveness. This body to be thriving and beautiful, it can still get through. It can still do what, what God's assigned before you. But it's a heck of a lot sweeter and so much fuller when you release forgiveness, when you release unforgiveness and, you know, neither's God's body. Hmm, let me see. What, oh. <laughs> I have some scripture verses. Please don't think that that I don't hold the scripture verses as important, but I didn't bring my Bible that is all marked up, so I'm not going to look them up. I brought the wrong Bible, and Angie let me have hers, but we'll just skip over that because I think that you know your Bibles. I think that you know several of those verses on unforgiveness and forgiveness. I think that you can get in there and you can get actually pretty uh, sideways when you read some of those because you're like, oh, crap, he's serious. Like, well, he's serious because he's loving you, not because he's judging you, but because he wants the good stuff for you. But we all agree, you and I. Forgiveness is bad. Forgiveness is good. If you're carrying unforgiveness, if you have that bitterness, and I know we all do, I know every one of you can think of somebody in particular that you're carrying bitterness towards. I Kind of gross, isn't it? I invite you into a better place of freedom. If it's bitterness aimed towards somebody from your childhood, if it's bitterness, it's aimed towards somebody that hurt your friend. It's kind of funny because I've always had this idea of friendship is, you know, to be loyal. That if somebody hurts you, I think I even shared a meme on Facebook with you years ago. If somebody hurts my friend, then they need to worry about me carrying around a baseball bat 
Okay. <laughs> if you hurt my friend, you, you, I'm coming after you. And I thought that's what a good friend does. I thought that you picked up their offense and that you took care of it for them. It's not what a good friend does. It's not. I'll come back to that. A lot of times that unforgiveness or that offense that you pick up from your friends, it makes you feel self-righteous. Like I'm a good friend. I'm going to hate them for you. Or the unforgiveness that you carry towards yourself. Also, a self-righteous thing. Uh, you know, I'll punish myself for what I've done wrong. And you're forgiven. You're just forgiven. And you can agree with it. You can accept it. You can align with it. Or you can be self-righteous and say, that doesn't pertain to me. <sighs> I lost my marriage. Eventually, it got so bad. I mean, we dealt with it for a couple of years. We, we tried to fight through stuff for a couple of years. But adultery is a bitch. It is. Neither one of us could forgive me. And... Towards the end, when we would argue and rehash what I had done, my body couldn't take it anymore. My body started to shut down. We would start to discuss what I had done, and I would have to say, stop, stop, I'm going to pass out. And I would pass out <laughs> because I wasn't designed to carry that kind of shame. Neither are you. And then I started to look for ways that I could kill myself without it looking like suicide because I wouldn't want that kind of shame on my boys, right? And so I began to, I'm pretty creative, turns out. And that's when God said, okay, honey, out. And he called me out. And I'd already been fairly isolated from my friends by this time. I've been a couple of years away from, from everyone. But when he called me out and I moved away, I felt completely and utterly alone as if I wasn't before. I felt so completely cut off. And alone.
in the book of Hosea, God talks about how he, you'll have to look it up because I don't have my Bible with me, but look it up later if you'd like. He woos her, he takes her into the wilderness where there are no other voices to distract her. There are no other lovers beckoning to her and saying this, this, this. There's nobody now. But her and her beloved. And this is where he woos her back. And when I was curled up on a ball on my bedroom floor and completely shattered, he covered me. Sometimes at night, when sleep would evade me, which was most nights, somehow I had at least enough wisdom to play worship music. And he would invite me to get up and dance with him all night long. And in that, in that wilderness, he began to tell me that he loved me. And I know that, that we, we know that he loves us. And that's what my whole life had really been built on. But for some reason... I was finally in a place where I could hear him when he just spoke it. I love you. And sometimes he would shout it. I love you. I love you. And sometimes he would whisper it. I love you. I love you, honey. I love you. 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 And he forgave me. Not because I'm worthy. Not because I deserved it. But because he created me to love me and he created me to be a vessel of his forgiveness. Kind of like you. His forgiveness picked me up 
and it healed me. <laughs> if you could carry that kind of love and forgiveness, accept it, don't die. Give it, don't kill. Truly a heart that loves God forgives. Truly a heart that has God's love pouring into it and out forgives. If you love me, you will obey me. It's not that <sighs> if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll forgive her. It's not that I'm trying to prove that God is in me that gets me to forgive you. It's that God is in me forgiving you. Get next to him. Don't hide behind shame. Don't hide behind anger. Whatever you're hiding behind that separates you from this crazed, he's crazy. In his forgiveness. It's crazy. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. It doesn't make any sense. Whatever you are hiding behind that, that blocks your communion with this crazy forgiver, stop. Stop. Now, see him savagely rip that barrier. He's not, gent he's not gentle with this. He's gentle with you. But he rent that curtain, and it wasn't a gentle procedure. This is a warrior ripping apart what stands between you and him. So don't hide behind your shame. Don't hide behind your, your, your bitterness and your grudge. Don't hide behind it. See him rip it and see him deliver you. See it. Feel it. Know it. He lives to love us. And he will not let anything be between you and his love. And if there's something between you and his love, hallelujah. It doesn't get to stand. It just doesn't. So when I say that you must forgive, and you must forgive, you even have to forgive me. You have to forgive the person that hurt you when you were a little, little one. You even have to forgive 
the people that came after your best friend. How the heck do you do that? It's easy for me to say that he's ripped this curtain. It's easy for me to tell you. But how do you do it? What are the steps? We all want steps. I will tell you that I am anointed to love big and to forgive big, and I can pray for you. Get next to people with an anointing. When you see somebody that loves well, get next to them and say, I need that, because I'll always share. I'll share with you. But there are practical steps. There are, are things that you can can do. I've, I have read a crap ton of books on forgiveness. <laughs> but I will tell you that some things you just have to practice. We underestimate the value of practice. Lisa and I were talking about this. It, um, people aren't just magically good at something unless they've practiced it. If you know somebody who is better at keeping house than you, they've probably practiced it more than you have. It's not a particular talent. It's not a particular gifting. It's somebody who's practiced and practiced and practiced. Uh, if we say that somebody's a better storyteller than anyone you know, I'm like, well, sheesh, of course he is because he doesn't know how to shut up. He practices all the time. Practice. She's more joyful than I am. I'm like, well, maybe you should try smiling more often. Practice. I can't forgive. It's too hard. Well, practice. Practice it. It's glorious. It might not be that fun to practice housekeeping, but it's pretty fun to practice being joyful, and it's pretty fun to practice forgiving people. It's so hard. No, it's really not that hard. You know, what's hard is not forgiving somebody and killing them because you're not designed to bring death. You're designed to bring life because you were created in the image of our father. <sighs> so if you're having a hard time forgiving, practice it. What do you practice? I'll give you a formula. Okay, I'll give you something. If, if you're one of those people that brought a notebook and you like to write notes, this is what you can write down because this is actually pretty great advice. And it comes from the book of forgiving. Take a picture of it. Write it down if you are interested in it. It's by Desmond Tutu. He's uh, from South Africa all kinds of horrible, torturous 
ugly things that he and his people have seen. And they forgive, and they forgive, and they forgive. People whose daddy was tortured and murdered in front of them. People who've been tortured and um, who've seen terrible things. This is, uh, he, he provides four steps to help people actually forgive and be restored to these people who have done these atrocities or to be released from these people. Restoration or release is always the end result. When you forgive, you're either released from it or you're restored. Either way, it's reconciliation. The four steps. Step number one, tell your story. I'm going to just go through these super fast, but we'll touch back on them. Number two, name the hurt. Number three, grant forgiveness. Number four, renew or release the relationship. So tell your story. You were hurt, and you have to accept the fact that this event did happen to you and that it affected you. So when you tell your story, maybe don't tell it to everyone. You're not telling your story to get revenge. You're telling your story to admit that something happened. It's humility. Sometimes you might not be able to tell people. You might not have a a certain person that you can just trust with it. So write it down. Write it down. Read it out loud to Jesus. This is what happened to me. It was unfair. It was ugly. And then name your hurt. Step two, name your hurt. This happened to me. And it made me feel like this. So, uh, for an example, Mr. Smith broke into my home, and I'm making this up, and stole all of my jewelry. Even the ring that my mother got me. It's all gone. That's my story. The name you're hurt. I feel so vulnerable that someone stepped into my space. I feel angry that he took precious things from me. I feel scared that he might do it again. I feel... Whatever, okay? Your story, admit that it makes you feel a certain way so that you can actually, number three, forgive. 
Because when you don't admit that there was a story in the first place, and when you can't admit that it made you feel a certain way, then you're actually letting yourself off the hook in this beautiful step number three, forgiveness. Didn't happen to me. Didn't affect me. They don't have the power to make me feel sad. Stuff instead of forgive. So accept that you have a story. Accept that somebody's affected you. And then you can forgive. And once you forgive, you can be restored to this person. Or you can release them from your bitterness, at least. You know, sometimes restoration isn't possible, but you can release. If you skip a step in these four steps, you get caught in a loop. You ever know anybody who tells a story over and over and over again? If you tell your story, but you don't accept the pain, or if you don't forgive, then you get sent right back to step one, tell the story. And some people will tell their story till they are blue in the face. How do you help them out of that? How do you be a good friend in that situation? Or how do you help yourself out of that? How do you be a good friend to yourself in that situation? Stand in the gap. When somebody is telling you the story, as a good friend, you can say, you don't have to say it out loud, but you can say, I see that you're having a hard time with this step that you can't forgive this person. Right now, I forgive them on your behalf. That's what a friend does. That's what a real friend does. Instead of picking up the baseball bat or instead of telling everybody, watch out for so-and-so, a real friend says, you can't forgive them? I'll forgive them for you. Because that's what love does. That's sticky. That's kingdom. And it's really pretty fun, and it's really pretty ornery. And it's pretty... Audacious. Because you know what else you can do? When someone refuses to forgive you, you can say, it's okay. I forgive me on your behalf. And you can love them. You can love them until they have finally made it through those four steps. And when someone 
that you love is feeling the shame and the, the, the unforgiveness and the self-loathing that we all get caught in. Step in the gap for them too. Be the one that says, I know you don't feel like it, but you're forgivable. I know you don't feel like it, you are lovable. I know you don't feel like it, but you're holy and you're honorable. You are smart. You're precious. You're covered. When someone that you love is trapped in shame, and they have the courage to tell you their story, and you have the courage to forgive them on somebody else's behalf, you bring healing. I just got married. It's been a month already. <laughs> Four weeks. And that's what Bill did for me. I told him my story. I'm like, you don't understand. I'm not lovable. You don't understand. I'm a cheater. You don't understand. I'm unfit. And every argument that I would throw out there, he would say, you don't understand. I forgive you for what you did to that person. We get to do that for people. You don't understand. You're not unfit. You're a treasure. Be the healer. Be healed and be the healer. You want to see supernatural stuff break out? It's as simple as forgiving the people around you. Whether it's your offense or somebody else's issue. You can release all kinds of supernatural healing in this place just by forgiving. That's ah, so beautiful. <sighs> the body was designed for noble purposes. Don't make it swallow unforgiveness. Stop unforgiveness so it doesn't cause a cancer, so it doesn't cause a sickness, so it doesn't cause atrophied muscle groups within the body, your body, your family body, your church body. 
the body of Christ, because wherever there is an atrophied muscle group, wherever there is pain, wherever there is something wrong, it affects something else. Always. Because we're connected. And Angie might be having a really big struggle going on right now. I'm not prophesying this over you, okay? Somebody might be really struggling. And when you do something life-giving over here, completely unrelated, then all of a sudden, she's free. She doesn't know why, but it's the very same reason. Does anybody have a neck issue in here? Nobody has? Yep. Come here. Where's your neck hurt? Through in here? Okay, so this is the neck. Can I come out here with the mic? It won't squawk, will it? Chances are the real issue is not here. But through here. Chances are it's this side that affects this side over here more. It's this side. This is a set of muscles right here that need released. Tell you what else needs released, right? Through here. It's going to be really tight through here, which it is. So we have an issue with the right hip. And if we can get this right hip to release and this set of muscles through here to release, this will release and the neck will be better. But she has to trust me that she's got some other issues besides this one. You have to trust me when there's an issue in the body that I might be over here. Let's show some love over here to this set that seems unaffected. And this person that's struggling over here will suddenly be okay. It's really lovely. Hmm. Hmm. Holy Lord. <laughs> I don't think we understand. What a beautiful and liberating charge it is to forgive.
I ask that you would help us to understand the glory in this. I ask that you would help us to do it. I ask, God, that you would help us to forgive the people that won't forgive us, that you would help us to forgive the people that don't want forgiveness. I ask that you would help us to accept forgiveness, even though we don't feel like we did a thing that warrants it. God, I ask that you would. Oh, this is a good one. Lord. I would ask that you would pour out your forgiveness right now into those dark places in us that we want to keep separate from you. God, I ask that you would break down our self-righteousness in a way that would allow us to accept that we need to be whole and complete and forgiven. Holy Lord. Let us walk in the power that you've released to us. I do want to read. Why am I taking off my glasses? We know we need these. I go back to the prodigal son story, which is no longer called the prodigal son story. It's called the parable of the loving father. We read this the other day, and I couldn't shake it. So I'm going to read it to you. Then Jesus said, once there was a father with two sons, The younger son came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time? Give me the share of your estate that belongs to me. And so the father went ahead and distributed among the two sons their inheritance. Shortly afterward, the younger son packed up all his belongings and traveled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far-off land where he soon wasted all he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. Other versions called it squandered. I kind of like wasted. Given something so valuable and you just wasted it. With everything spent, nothing left. He grew hungry, for there was a severe famine in that land. So he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. The farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. The son was so famished. He would have eaten anything. Have you ever been like that? Have you been so famished that you'll listen to any voice?
that he was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. Humiliated. That's another great word. The son finally realized what he was doing. And he thought, there are many workers at my father's house who have all the food that they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back home to my father's house. Getting to do that almost seems like hope when you're too afraid to hope. And since you're too afraid to hope, you'll put conditions on coming back to the Father. so that you don't really have to hope in him. And I'll say to him, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I'm, I'll never be worthy to be called your son. That's what you get when you eat with the pigs, you get kind of sloppy thinking. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees. So the young son set off for home from a long distance away. His father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar. Why is he coming? I suppose he squandered everything I gave him. Maybe if I give him a list of rules, he'll do better with the next chance that I might give him if he says the right words. Or if he's really, really crying enough. It's not him. It's not him. You know what he does? His father saw him coming, and great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. So the father raced out to meet him. He swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, and kissed him over and over with tender love. And the son said, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. 
I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. And the father interrupted him right there. Father interrupted him and said, son, you're home now. Turning to his servants, the father said, quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe. And I will place it on his shoulders. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger and bring out the best shoes that you can find for my son. Let's prepare a great feast. And celebrate. For this beloved son of mine was once dead, but now he's alive again. Once he was lost, but now. Is found. And everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. You know, the man that I just married renamed me. I'd always gone by Jody, but my real name is Joy. And the day I met him, and he put my information in his phone, I told him, well, my name is Jody, but my real name is Joy. I'll answer to anything. And he said, you're Joy. When we see someone through the eyes of forgiveness, we rename them. We call out their true identity. It's really lovely. I call out your true identity. I call you out in this no judgment zone that we have created here tonight. I call out who you were born as I call out the person that God named you to be. Love you guys. Who wants to pray for me? Go, go.
I will share a quick story. A close friend of mine shared with some of us a story about the horrible gunk that she had gone through as a child and how she would crawl into a tiny little space and hide and be as quiet as she could and just try to disappear. And I've been thinking about that all week long since she told me last week. Been thinking about it. And she, you know, we're talking about how she's quiet as a mouse. And I feel like some of us crawl into that space to hide and to shrink. And I would just tell you that in that place, you are a seed and you are going to grow way, way bigger than that space will ever hold. And you will not need a hiding place anymore. You will not need to cower away anymore because although you felt like you were being, like you were escaping, God was planting you in the place that he needed you to be to grow into something grand and spectacular. And I would tell you that's what you're doing right now. You're no longer hidden away in that little hiding place. You are bursting out. I'm so proud of you for that.